0: This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and joining me as he does every week is Arusha Pierce, Portfolio Manager over at O'Neill Global Advisors. How are you doing this week, Arusha? I'm doing well, Justin. It's always great to be here. Yeah, and uh I'm I'm looking forward to a Pac-12 uh, tournament here for basketball. I went to a few UCLA basketball games. Uh USC didn't do too bad, so we'll see how and this plays know. out. Yeah, hanging in there. Um, but let's get to our really, really special guest. Uh and this is a uh, uh, someone returning to the show, Bill Studebaker. He's the president and CE CIO uh and managing partner of Robo Global. Now, what Robo Global does is uh they've got a lot of uh you know a lot of Uh, sticks in the fire here in terms of robotics, automation, AI. And we thought it would be a great idea since AI is on a lot of people's minds uh, with all of this chat stuff coming out uh, to have Bill talk a little bit about that. So uh, welcome back to the show, Bill.
1: Uh, Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Look forward to our conversation.
0: Okay, so we're going to start off with a little bit of, uh, you know, where the market is, and we're going to get Bill's kind of insights into the idea behind staying the course and with the recession talk and everything like that, uh, almost a panic for some people, um, what what can kind of get us out of this uh, to a degree and uh, with productivity? And then he'll give some uh, broad themes of what he's seeing in the robotics, automation, and artificial intelligence area. So let's go ahead and get a start uh, with the NASDAQ composite, maybe. Uh, the growth was so strong in uh, the NASDAQ for January, February, we've seen a little bit of a uh, pullback here. Um, and a lot of this is being kind of, I guess, driven by some uncertainty with the uh, Fed, you know, testimony from uh, Jerome Powell yesterday and today to in front of Congress to say, hey, look, we might have to raise interest rates a little bit more. Um, we had a JOLTS uh, report today. We've got, you know, jobs data, CPI, Fed meetings, all of those things uh, acting as headwinds as people are starting to try and figure out exactly how high interest rates will have to go to calm inflation down. So, uh, Bill, what's what's your take on where we're kind of at after such a devastating 2022 um, for a lot of people, you know, a nice rebound so far. Uh, where do you think we're we're at right now?
1: Well, um Listen, I think it's, it's, it's hard to have a crystal ball, but, um, here's my account. <laughs> yeah. I think that navigating an environment where good news turns into bad news and yeah. soft landings become, you know, kind of no landings. It feels like we're taking a test. We haven't really studied for And this is, you know, kind of exhausting for investors and any participants you know in the market. And I think even the teachers, right. The federal reserve doesn't even seem to have, you know, the answers. And, mm-hmm. um, I think the, the important thing here is that if you just look at the numbers and the data you look at the PMI indices, you know, globally, um, they point to simple fact, which is that, you know, the global economy remains far more resilient than most people expected. And I think that, you know, just as investors got comfortable with the idea, this might not be a good time to be bearish or it was a good time to be bearish, you know, all last year and then, you know, continue it going into this year. You know, the U.S. market, you know, started its slide into kind of the view or the hope or the anticipation of, of a soft landing. And then we've had a rather sustained rally in the markets. And that's a result, really, that uh, of digesting a fair number of earnings beats, you know, along with some arguably some encouraging macro data. So uh, it's been welcomed, if not, you know, somewhat bewildering um, um, news for many people off the heels of a great disappointing 2022 but you know as i see it the, I, I actually like the fact that we're getting some dispersion in returns i know that everyone loved that when the green light was on particularly kind of in 2019 and 2020 and everything was up if there right. was a green day everything was up and if it's a red day everything was down and it was up similar you know amounts and down similar amounts but you know it's different i mean it, i can talk about You know, what we're seeing, which is our our robo uh, index, which captures the ecosystem of robotics and automation, is up 15% year to date. Um, The ticker is robo, ROBO. Our AI index, that sort of vests across the value chain of robotics and AI, is up 19%. And our healthcare innovation index is up about 2%. So, kind of similar, believe it or not, to most healthcare indices that are. Down anywhere between five percent up five percent, but if you look at the dispersion of the markets, you've got the S and P you know up four, you've got the Dow down maybe one or two, the S and P up you know ten percent, um, global diversified you know like Act is up five percent, Europe's up kind of in the mid teens, Nikkei's up somewhere around nine percent. So you know there you. Have it. I think it's uh, it's good that now guess what you know we're back to a stock pickers market.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, given given that growth got hit so hard in 2022, um, you know, a lot of times people say, "Oh, the the harder they fall, the the more they bounce back up." Uh, are you kind of expecting, you know, that for for some of the, again, because a lot of what you're invested in is very very growthy, um, is is that kind of the expectation that maybe 2023 or beyond kind of holds a, a little bit better of a bounce?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think as we came into uh, 2023, uh, as I sort of written in our previous market commentary, that I, I thought that the, uh, um, that the risk reward is becoming heavily skewed in our favor. I mean, last year, most of our indices were off somewhere around 40% in that zip code, so actually far worse than, than uh, the global indices. Um, yet there was a de minimis change in earnings expectations. So what happened was just really a 40% revaluation of multiple. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking into you know this year, um, all our indices, I, I think, are going to fare very well because um, historically, they've grown significantly more that of the market. And I think that's going to be the continued narrative going forward. Um, that you know, I think the S and P is expected to grow uh, top line somewhere in the four to five percent range, and our, our robo index as an example is expected to grow somewhere in the um, you know eight to nine percent range top line. So again, sort of twice the level you know, of the market, and I think this you know sort of bizarre economy. You have to wonder if the sort of airplane metaphor is somewhat misguided. I mean, maybe Captain Powell isn't actually flying a plane. Or rather a new sort of ship that just stays in the air for longer and, you know, flying us into quote unquote uncharted territory. And, you know, if we're not on the brink of a global session which certainly in my opinion, doesn't seem to be the case. You know, I think it's time to lose the metaphor and focus on the fundamentals of the facts. And for one, I think that investors need to have the right landing gear, which is robotics, automation, AI. I mean, these are the technologies that every economy, every geography, you know, every company is having to employ. So I, I think that you know we are in very early days of iteration. Uh, in a baseball metaphor, we're not in the first in the baseball game here. The players are in the locker room putting their clothes on.
0: <laughs>
2: wow. Well. yeah. Now, Bill, uh, with, with, uh, with with the markets correcting so much last year. And and then this year, you know, the markets are hanging in there and potentially a big opportunity. Was there any change in the strategy for Robo Global? Or it it's you're taking a much longer view on all of these exciting kind of growth areas?
1: No, I mean we had some tweaking around the edges, um, but really nothing nothing fundamentally changed. What we're trying to do, Rusha, is capture the companies that have the um the highest revenue exposure, you know, to these to these themes. I mean, yeah. having revenue period. Okay, that's roughly 50% of sort of our our, our fund, uh, fundamental factor attribution that goes into it. The other 50% is looking for companies that are, are market leaders that have strong market leadership that have technology leadership, and we also spend a lot of time looking at how and where they're investing because that's an important component to understand you know, how they're using these technologies to enable their their business, but importantly, you know, how their mix is going to change as a result, you know, of, of having a bigger emphasis on these areas that um, are, I think are pretty ripe for innovation and ripe for growth. And so that's, you know, kind of how we've uh, we we've focused and uh, we've not changed that one bit.
0: Mm-hmm. So one of the things that seems to be um, a big theme right now is, uh, and the macroeconomic side is the labor market. You know, all eyes are on the labor market. How tight it is. Um, what does what does robotics and automation and their effect on the labor market uh, do to that equation? You know, uh, what, what what are your thoughts on that? I
1: get the question a lot, and I, I would it's imagine, it's and only, I know you have an answer. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it's it's always sort of assumed that automation is to displace. Workers and uh, although it does sound pretty scary about what AI could do from a science fiction standpoint and, and robotics too, I mean, really, what we've been doing very easily is automating dull, dangerous, and dirty jobs. And um, you know, those areas continue to be ripe for, for innovation. But what we're really doing is that you know we're adding um, automation for collaborating with, with humans and. Um, and I think that's that's the biggest the biggest thing that that most people misrepresent. Um, the companies and countries that have the highest penetration rates in automation have the lowest unemployment rates. And if you look at, at Amazon, I don't have all the numbers off the top of my head, but effectively over the last you know seven or eight years, they've gone from having in you know, a ballpark of maybe thirty-five or forty thousand robots to um, adding you know, somewhere of a couple hundred thousand. And during that period of time, you know, their, their employment base has grown, grown basically uh, commensurate to their their robotic growth. And what happens, you know, with this is that you really have better productivity, which means, you know, lower costs, which means, you know, greater um, economic output and, and demand. And so um, we have 11 million unfilled jobs in the United States. So if robots are stealing their jobs, you know, as I like to joke about. They're doing a really bad job
0: of it. <laughs> right. Yeah, very good point. Um and uh l- let's let's kind of get into a little bit more of um you know what you were referring to as the dispersion um and how that was a good thing. Could could you explain that a little bit more because I want to make sure that our listeners can kind of understand what you what you mean there.
1: Yeah, well, I guess um you know when uh, when the economy was going down the correlation to most all asset classes was one to one, so meaning right. that if Amazon was down one percent, then so was the Nook, and so was so was uh, Medtronic, and and so was so was GJ. And there really wasn't any separation in, in risk assets, and, and mm-hmm. so um, everyone was basically selling out of fear. They sold what they could or what they had to because they wanted to get below really the ground um, as the market was going down. And, and let's not uh,
0: forget, bonds weren't really the safe haven, uh, you know, either. Right, right.
1: I mean, last year was the worst year for bonds in over 50 years. So uh, true, there was really virtually no asset classes that were unscathed. And um, and so as we've, you know, entered this year, again, with with a 40% correction, the multiple coming into this year, um, gave investors, you know, sort of a asymmetric risk reward to begin to review. Um, their portfolio and, and uh, reassess, you know, where they wanted to be. I think investors got very lazy and how they're investing and what they were they were investing in. And um, and robotics and AI has always been a little bit of a tricky one for people because disruptive innovation uh, is difficult to to price and to value, uh, right? And understand and. Um, I think that um, you also have the issue that they don't necessarily follow traditional uh, GICS classification, meaning there's no sort of subsector where you put in, um, You know, whether it's a the biotechnology, there isn't a subsector for for AI. I mean, it's a part of, of computing or, or other. Um, then you have robotics. I mean, there really isn't a, uh, a segment for that either. So it doesn't necessarily, you know, tick traditional, you know, financial analysis uh, analyst metric boxes, um, and that's made it a little bit challenging for people to to think about how to allocate. But um, these are names that they need to take a look at, and I think over time, you know, that is going to change. And for us as an example, our, our flagship fund, Robo, less than two um, percent of the names are in the S and P. So Mm -hmm. investors don't own these names. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. roughly around a uh, a six percent crossover with um, with the Nasdaq. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, these are names that are not investor portfolios, which I think is uh, obviously remains a great thing and an opportunity.
2: Mm -hmm. So so in the end, with 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 a lot more dispersion, it's going to uh, it's going to really add to those. who are better at stock picking, right? Who who are able to find the alpha in the market?
1: Yeah, I think so. And uh, investing is not an easy game, right? Uh, you know, which is why over longer periods of time, it's very difficult to see those individuals that that outperform um, outperform the market. And uh, but everyone wants to identify something new and shiny, and. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, this is this is new and shiny, but this is not, you know, a niche. I mean, the first iPhone came out, what, 12, 13 years ago, and the first iPhone that came out was a niche. Uh, so was the first, you know, Tesla that came out in 2013, Right. Uh, and two, three years ago, people were sort of pooing the idea that Elon Musk might get to uh, 500 million units, or I'm sorry, 500,000 units ever Right. Well, mm-hmm. now he's talking about getting to 20 million units, mm-hmm. uh, and you know this is what we're seeing in the market. You know, with a lot of these technologies, where the the rates of innovation, the S curve happens so quickly and so much faster than investors you know, can price into. I mean, chat, GBT, uh got to 100 million um, users inside of two months. I mean, that's the quickest launch of any technology. <laughs> right. So, Ever. Yeah. So, I think yeah. the previous quickest launch was TikTok that got the two million. It took your whopping nine months. Wow. So, um, this is kind of what's going on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll get into a lot more of that uh, with ChatGPT and AI and what that means uh, in our next segment. So, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Apple, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and
2: inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully.
0: And welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and joining me as he does every week is Arusha Pierce, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager. And our special guest this week, uh, returning to the show, is Bill Studebaker. He's from Robo Global. He's the president and CIO managing partner over there. So, Bill, um, we've we've got kind of a, a a lot to discuss in terms of this whole idea of Uh, the the recession fears, and uh, you kind of mentioned this before about how the landing, soft landing, hard landing, no landing, um, the the idea behind the landing gear being what's most important. And to you, is that landing gear really productivity? And uh, is that something we get from uh, robotics, of course?
1: Yeah, I think without doubt that if, if we want to see better productivity, The the only way that comes through is with improved automation. And so when you look at the the expected benefits from improved productivity, they're really meaningful. And McKinsey just recently did a study where they talked about the U.S. being able to add $10 trillion to our economic output by 2030. Um, Seems like a big number. And that's in the context. 10
0: trillion, that's with a T, right? Right, 10 trillion. (laughs)
1: it sounds like a big number but if you sort of peel the onion it really isn't and uh um but it's it's it is a meaningful number okay so the u.s economy is roughly 25 trillion dollar economy so over over the next you know eight years that's going to add roughly about you know again 10 trillion dollars improvement with just a two percent improvement in productivity um so that's you know that's what the numbers are the u.s global or the world global economy is is roughly 85 trillion so that's over 500 trillion dollars in uh in in size by 2030 and just you know including that by two percent you know gets you gets you a pretty big number right mm-hmm. and so um if you look at you know what happened in during covid um the improvement was all the result of productivity and uh mm-hmm. We went into the pandemic and we exit the pandemic 1% higher GDP. We did it with six and a half million less workers. That is the definition of productivity, all as a result of robotics, automation, and AI. And so I have high hopes and beliefs that is exactly what's going to occur as we go forward. And I just continue to emphasize to our investors and to all investors, It's the importance of staying invested and staying, the course, in robotics, automation and healthcare innovation. And the investors who have followed that guidance have already benefited from the recent reset that's already delivered plenty of green shoots. And I think that we're going to continue to see this. And, you know, not long ago, automation was considered a luxury for companies, you know, looking to increase productivity and lower costs, improve margins and, and you know, sort of outplay the other tech-savvy competitors mm-hmm. or, or or less productive competitors. But today, as the cost of robots and other automation solutions is becoming increasingly affordable, Automations shift from nice to have to a necessity. And with automation now a priority in nearly every sector, many of our companies are entering 2023 with record backlogs. So we get companies like Finup and Yaskawa and Rockwell and Daifuku, which does picking and sorting equipment and another company, Autostore, that's a uh, uh, a, um, a um, Oslo-based uh, company that has uh, robotic warehouse technology, um, Palo Alto Networks, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Crowdsource, ASML that produces the, the semi-cap. You know, equipment, manufacturing equipment, uh, striker, I mean, I can go on and on, um, all have record backlogs. And mm-hmm. I think this is important because the market is 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 fixated on the macro, you know, every day and wondering which way is up or down. And um, they're not really paying attention to what's going on. And our indices, um,
2: I think, are kind of lean to charge forward. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the maybe some of the next areas where robotics is going to may, maybe become more means uh mainstream uh, are there any kind of immediate kind of fields where th- that's kind of the next thing like right now is like warehousing manufacturing it's it's had a big impact other yeah that's
1: one area that we're really excited about. i think generally speaking that the digitalization economy is is obviously proceeding at a, a pretty brisk pace and right. business leaders all over the world are now taking a full advantage of an increasing set of of broad automation technologies, you know, out there, right? So everything from software to cloud to advancements in robotics and machine learning. And these trends, you know, are providing investment opportunities related, you know, to a few themes. And, you know, one of the themes that that we love, you know, is warehouse and um, and logistics automation. And, Mm -hmm. you know, generally speaking, common systems are really beginning to take off. And the evolution of how humans move from sort of point A to point B um, is fascinating. Okay, it took centuries to go from traveling on, on foot and horseback to um, um, to more efficient modes of transportation, right, yep. horse and carriage then to massive ships crossing the sea. And then you've got, you know, rapid succession came with the trains and the automobiles and airplanes, which obviously yeah. increased human mobility. Now we've got another big inflection point, and this is thanks to Thomas systems, which are enabled by, you know, connected um, electric and smart technologies, and smart robotics and AI and automation are revolutionizing the supply chain, and they're allowing for better integration and more efficiencies at all stages of film. In the U.S. alone, there are roughly 20,000 warehouse and logistics facilities, and I believe roughly five percent would be considered heavily automated or highly automated or even somewhat automated so that means that 95 percent of other areas are not you know uh, enabled and i, I think when you got speed and the flexibility and mobility of today's robots that prove the technology is more dexterous than ever and you've got you know a lot of other applications that are really evolving because of advancements in deep learning and and you've got radar, lidar, and vision technologies, yeah. and sensors um, that can classify objects and sort them, and, and use perception uh, for better planning and route planning. I mean, we're we're seeing just a massive evolution here. Warehouse and logistics automation is roughly about twelve percent of our robo index, and it's actually one of our best performing subsectors uh, subsectors since we launched almost uh, ten years ago. It's up. In the neighborhood of 350 percent and mm-hmm. we're just scratching the surface on where things are going
0: mm-hmm. so it, it seems like what you're saying here is you know we're we're still we're still in early days here the, the 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 widespread adoption hasn't happened and even some of those names that you mentioned as you mentioned uh earlier the overlap with the s p 500 and the nasdaq really isn't there some of those names are probably names that people haven't heard of before um so how do you kind of identify these um, potential winners? Do you do you kind of cast a wide net to to kind of get get all of them, you know, and and let the let the market decide who the winner is, or uh, do you do you kind of drill down a little bit deeper and say, hey, this one is better because of, and and what is that X factor, I guess?
1: Yeah, no, we we don't cast a wide net. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not sort of trying to populate this with just throw paint against the wall or, and hope it sticks. And we're really trying to focus on identifying companies that have high revenue purity, okay? Mm-hmm. And to get into our index, that has to fit in one of our subsectors that we've defined. So that's the first thing. And then we're looking for the high revenue purity. And again, as we sort of initially talked about, we're trying to identify the companies that have um, dominant market share. I mean, we want to find the, the, the best breed pure, Play you know, companies, So we're looking for companies, if they're not sort of number one, two, or three in share, number three, not because they've moved down from one to three, um, and, and maybe migrating even lower. I mean, we're looking for companies that, that have staying power. Uh, we're looking at the companies that have commercialization, that have technology leadership. We spend a lot of time trying to understand um, their technology and what's around that business. And then we're spending a lot of time understanding how and where they're investing. We look at their, their R&D and where they're investing. We look at um, their acquisition activity, um, their success, their historical track records, et cetera. So we spend a lot of time looking at that. Um, we then um, cast uh, a ESG filter around that mm-hmm. and all pops an index and then that is a very active approach to how we look at things. We then we, we balance it monthly. We trim the stocks that have rallied. We've bought in the stocks that have sold off. We're constantly you know rebalancing and we can own no more than, than well after that's done that's sort of the, the active approach. Uh, the passive approach would be we we put it in, in an ETF wrapper um and then we have um sort of passive filters we look at a company has to be exchange trade eligible it can be trade no more than uh we can own no more than five percent of free flow it has to have a certain market cap and liquidity for us to be able to to own it and so we review this um you know quarterly our portfolio we're reviewing not just quarterly we we look at companies um really on a daily basis we have conversations and meetings um with with management teams we meet them at conferences uh, we meet them in their offices. I mean, we do. You know, we meet with the competitors, uh, etc. Uh, so we're we're constantly staying on top of them.
2: So so really the real, really the key is find the leaders in these huge growth areas and concentrating them in, in on them to to really kind of get the the bang for the buck. there, right?
1: True, but we have what we call sort of a modified equal weight. Essentially, we have a more or less a two or one percent position in companies. So we're not really taking an overweight, concentrated bet like some of our, our other competitors you know, have done. And we've done that very conscientiously because we know investors want to get from point A to point B, which is the least trivial space as possible. Yeah. Uh, concentration you know, brings you know a lot of risk and investors love it when it works, but when it doesn't work, um, they don't like it. <laughs> and um, we've designed this index not to pick the obvious winner. We think a lot of our companies you know, will be winners and they are. They have been winners. Our returns speak for themselves. Um, we're also fortunate that you know, a lot of our companies are in the cap seat to be acquired. I mean, because right. we don't just focus on big, massive, you know, uh, liquid names or big market cap only. You know, we invest across um, market cap spectrum. It's roughly about you know forty percent would be large cap. Or I'm sorry, forty percent is forty five percent U.S. and the balance nationally. And uh, we're yeah we're probably in more or less uh, I would say thirty to forty percent large cap, and sixty um, ish percent you know small and mid cap. The median market cap for robo is about you know six billion, and, uh, oh. and because we've you capture a lot of exposure in small mid-cap, we get a lot of impact from M&A benefit. Since we've launched Robo, uh, we've had almost a third of our companies have been acquired or attempted to be acquired. That's a portfolio uh, of around 75 names.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, before we, before we end this segment, uh, I want to just kind of circle back a little bit because uh, you mentioned of course you know chat gpt is something that is kind of the the, the new shiny thing um, and a uh, big adoption rate uh, you know a lot of people uh, were were very intrigued by it wanted to try it out wanted to kind of see what it's all about where where does it kind of go from here is it still kind of too early to tell um is this something that's investable right now or do you just kind of have to wait for something this new to kind of get those use cases out there and, and get some of the some of the wiggles out, I guess, uh, in, in these early days.
1: Well, artificial intelligence is the big news right now, obviously, thanks to a wave of applications such as, you know, Check, GBT and this tool, and, and many others sort of demonstrate the quantity that's taken place over the last few years of what AI is capable. Of. And this way of innovation is, you know process of, of of hitting the world of business and redefine what's possible you know i i do not think that this is a fad i think that the opportunity here truly really in terms of igniting a def- deflationary tsunami um it, is is very very probable um as you know it has the ability to transcend pretty much every industry by optimizing growth and lowering costs i mean Think about it. When was the last time that we saw a piece of technology that was so versatile that could solve problems and, you know, and surprise people in so many ways? I mean, you've got yeah. the ability to, to write a poem, a text, fill out a spreadsheet. Um, you can write Python, you know, code or do a structured, you know, query language. So this is all the power that's coming to the consumer. I mean, think about you know what? What Google has enabled us to do in search. I mean, the average person probably does seven or eight searches a day. But imagine you do seven or eight searches 20 30 years ago. I mean, you had to go to the library and, and yeah, books true. and do a search on something. Hard catalog. System. Yeah, it would take all day. <laughs> how, how much does the average whale weigh? I mean, we can ask Siri and they can tell you in less than one second. If you had to go. To the library to do that, it might take you at thirty minutes.
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, I think we're just we're scratching the surface of of, of where this is going to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, one one thing I just want to address real quick uh, again, because this is still early days, and one of the issues that has come up with uh, with this technology is. Um, Accuracy, you know. So, uh, you know, it's it's using the internet as its data source, and uh, I think we all know that you know the internet is the great tool, but sometimes it's not uh, not necessarily giving you accurate information. So, uh, any any thoughts on how that kind of plays out?
1: Well, I think it will play out over time. I think that, that you know clearly explainability, you know, is difficult. You know, you've got a lot of self self advised learning that has to happen you've got training costs that remain high they continue to remain high you've got inference costs which are the costs of energy and uh, the computing costs are exceptionally high it costs uh chat GBT on average roughly 50 cents to a dollar to do a query uh google do it for one 100th one of a penny so you know these are all things that i, I think have people worried or apprehensive if, if if anything but like every technology um you're going to see an exponential decline in cost going forward and this is all a result of our computing capability which is obviously exploded in mean, virtually every 18 months um, our computing power is doubling and the cost of computing is plummeting so this is creating an array of use cases that um years ago was just science fiction and that gbt is and further illustration of this and i think the, the bounds are so wide here that it's got you know people just confused because they don't quite know what to make of it but um you know when, when the iphone first launched 12 years ago you know there was no such thing as apps and right. you know within 10 years i think the app industry had grown to over a hundred billion dollars, you know, revenues. I'm not even sure what it's now. It's probably, you know, a magnitude of that. And so this all happens in a pretty fast period of time. And especially when you can get the ubiquity of these technologies disseminated like we can now, you know, I think the, uh, anything think it happened. I mean, again, JATGBT got to a uh, hundred million users, you know, inside of two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, incredible stuff. Incredible. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the themes that Bill is looking at right now for his ETFs and for the future of robotics, automation, and artificial intelligence. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leveraged,
2: and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, along with Arusha Piris, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, who joins me every week. And our special guest this week is Robo Global President and CIO and Managing Partner. It's Bill Studebaker returning to the show. And uh, just uh, for people that want more information, of course, I should make sure that they know that they can go over to RoboGlobal.com uh, for information. Also, you can follow them on Twitter, at RoboGlobal.com. Robo Global. Uh, so uh Bill let's get into it a little bit um some of the themes that you're looking at uh cuz again you you mentioned there's a lot of stocks a lot of individual stocks um but you know kind of on the broader level themes and uh you know we've you know we we've had some of your folks on before in the past and one of the interesting areas is certainly healthcare so maybe you can start with healthcare and um go into a little bit more uh, of that, uh, certainly we did just see a recent acquisition. To your point, One Medical is one of the stocks that we've uh, we've had your folks talk to us about, and that got acquired by Amazon. Um, but what other innovations are you seeing in that area?
1: Well, for one, we want to talk about healthcare. So our our H-Tech Index, which is HTC, um, enables investors to take advantage really what we think is a exceptionally long runway of growth in healthcare AI. And mm-hmm. though healthcare is already a globally mature industry that's, you know, contributes somewhat of close to ten percent of the world's GDP, uh, we all know that expenditures are rising unsustainably and could exceed eighteen trillion by twenty uh, forty, uh, according to our research. And so the need to simultaneously lower costs and improve, you know, patient well-being is created really breeding ground for innovation and, and HCEP really seeks to capture the value created by um, by the technology companies enabling this necessary change. And as we're looking at healthcare, you know, we're really excited because the rates of digitization um, in healthcare are, are so lowest of, of any sector in, in the global economy. And if you think about the world that we're in, um, we've sort of responded to the therapies or provided therapies after the problem has happened. But mm-hmm. you know, we're going to a world now um, of prediction prevention, individualizing this. And so innovation as an example in, in cancer and disease treatment, you know, continues to advance. And, and we all are beginning to understand that not all treatments are appropriate for, for every genetic makeup. And you know, our health histories are very different. However, your precision therapies facilitate very catered treatment plans uh, dependent on the specific patient needs. So they're using companion diagnostics, a liquid biopsy, you know, physicians can now sort of determine the most effective drug therapy on a patient by patient basis and then monitor how each treatment protocol is performing rather than just simply saying, "You know, this is how we're gonna do it, let's just wait and see. And for many cancer survivors, the risk of as we unfortunately know is, is high and making it vital to monitor the presence of the cancer in the body following treatment. And so liquid biopsy supports this effort through a process known as immunotherapy response monitoring or minimal resi- uh, residual disease, MRD is what it's called. And one of the many benefits of this technology is reducing the unnecessary treatments you know, such as chemotherapy, when the you know, minimum residential disease or residual disease (MRD) is no longer detected,
0: mm-hmm. and so this
1: is just an example of of, uh, of, uh, of a situation. We have a company in our index, Netera, ticker NTRA, that specializes in this area, and they have this sign- this Signatera patient immunotherapy monitor device that checks for the presence of of MRD in cancer patients to determine. If they're remaining cancer-free through immunotherapy, and they just received Medicare coverage approval, and the stock responded quite favorably as a result of that. The stock was up, you know, close to 20% or maybe even more as a result of that just recently happened. And so um, we're really excited about you know precision medicine. I, I also think that they, the world of, of connected care is about to take off. Uh, the medical IoT industry um, is is poised for, I think, you know, meaningful growth, particularly mm-hmm. as as AI technologies, you know, are seeing more adoption, and I think the expected velocity being driven by advancements in machine learning and cloud, and and perhaps more importantly, the need for portable and non-invasive healthcare um, is paramount. And that's mm-hmm. you know, the the Internet of Things is connecting now the physical world the digital world and so when this connection occurs um, this is a, a monumental impact in the medical world and one example is you know remote patient monitoring so you're using you know smart wearable devices to provide a right. you know, continuous stream of health metrics right you're going to you're going to check the heart rate and the blood pressure and the temperature and the glucose and more so something and like a so, dexcom
2: or something like that right
1: the... we, we think that the medical iot market's going to double from a, $150 billion last year to over $330 billion by 2027. And that's a CAGR of uh, some close to 17%. So, mm-hmm. you know, wearable glucose measurement devices, your companies like Dexcom, Dexcom um, you've got, you know, Abbott, you know, allow for real powerful diabetes management. You've also got uh, another company, Pod PODD. Um, then you've got cardiac monitoring solutions, Abbott does that. You've got iRhythm, IRTC is the ticker. you've got Boston Scientific. Um, so there's uh, there's a lot that that's happening there. And uh, you know, healthcare is is the industry that's just ripe for innovation.
0: hmm So what 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 is it that's the most important here uh, that you think in healthcare? And I know that's a tough thing because you just mentioned all of these different technologies, and it seems like they're all kind of benefiting from different things, uh, you know, from that precision medicine. Um, But I guess if you could tie it back to what is the part of robotics, automation, AI, that's, I guess, having the biggest impact here on some of these names that you just mentioned?
1: Well, I think the biggest impact is helping out with diagnosis.
0: Diagnosis. Um, And
1: then it's helping out with, um, you know, providing um, individualized, you know, patient care. That mm-hmm. guess what is also affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, the rates of, of healthcare costs are just unsustainable, and so um, you know we need to tackle that firsthand. And our our index aims to capture you know, a world of moving to prediction, prevention, and individualizing medicine. So you know I don't know that you can invest in one particular stock or one particular you know sector because you know that could get also. You know, it does get overheated and dangerous. Like We have, you know, genetics um, or just genomics that's about 10% of our index. Well, you know, we know that genomics um, had a pretty tough year last year. A lot of the studies were down 50 to 90%. And, um, you know, we, uh, we had suspicion that some of the valuations were getting a little bit out of hand um, 12, 18 months ago. And um, we identified a few different sort of fundamental filters that we put in to sort of um, minimize the impact from that. Um, we, we put a filter in where we could only own no more than, well, a position size would be cut in half if the stock traded over 20 times EBITDA sales. And if mm. it had a debt to, uh, to EBITDA in excess of five times. And so, you know, you get know a lot of companies in genomics that were trading at 30, 40, 50 times, times sales. Um, Now, our index in aggregate, though, importantly, because we're diverse across all subsectors, um, our median EV to sales multiple is around four and a half times. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this is not nosebleed. And again, we're we're invested in precision medicine. We're invested in regenerative medicine. We're invested in genomics. We're invested into... um, Medical instruments uh, and uh, and a few other sectors. So again, I think it's important to be invested across uh, you know, many different industries. Yeah, you know,
2: especially it seems like in the the medical industry, the healthcare industry for sure. I mean, the adoption rates. I feel like the adoption will be higher in certain areas than others. Will uh, you know? Will take a little bit more time, maybe getting the doctors to get used to adopting some of these things, and in, in addition to the the patients.
1: It's true but I guess yeah it's interesting to see how how it works I mean if you look back to intuitive surgical um, they launched uh, I believe it was somewhere around uh, 2000 uh, 1998 of ish or so I remember you know reading you know animal reports in in the uh, in the 98 to maybe 2004 period of time and everyone talked about you know doctor acceptance and penetration rates and procedure growth etc and and uh, everyone sort of uh, questioned the technology, et cetera. But, you know, now fast forward and into the surgical market cap, I'm not quite sure what it is right now. It's probably somewhere in the- 80 billion. I have to look it up, but maybe in the, uh, in the $60 billion zip code, it maybe closer to, um, yeah, it's probably in, in the $6 billion area. And so, uh, and you're looking at a, a company now that has uh, close to a couple million, of sort of procedures that it's done and uh, procedure growth is in the neighborhood of 15 plus percent. When you can operate with sub millimeter accuracy, um, you know, that results in in better patient outcomes and lower costs. And really, it's all about, um, you know, these systems working alongside of doctors to help them do their jobs better. I mean, if you're a doctor at age 70, you may be, you know, very skillful. At right. understanding the human body and anatomy, but, and you've done thousands of procedures, but guess what? You may have a little bit of tremor in your hand mm-hmm. and don't have the dexterity that maybe you had. So if you have a robotic assistant that working alongside you to, um, mm-hmm. provide an accurate, minimally invasive, um, 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 surgery alongside with you, it's, it's very active.
0: hmm Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned how the uh, Internet of Things (IoT) is something that was also influencing the healthcare area, but of course, IoT goes well beyond healthcare. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that and some of the companies that interest you in that space?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that you know what's happening now is that you know smart robots and AI and you know automation are really revolutionizing the supply chain. Right, it's allowing for integration efficiencies and in all stages of the fulfillment process. So, you know, if you look at, um, you know, where IOT is, I mean, you've got, you know, if you order something from, from, uh, from Amazon, um, the, the chances are that, you know, guess what, one of Zebra's technologies have probably traced and tracked, um, where your pocket is. So they they have, you know, mobile computing devices that scan, um the uh the various you know lines or assets to to tell you what's been shipped and when it's been shipped it knows exactly um you know what color it was and where it was and what time it was sent and when it's going to be the next place and then you can transition that into your crm and understand exactly the inventory you have so when it just along the supply chain there are just a lot of avenues where this can be you know adopted and uh when you think about, you know, adding smart automation everywhere, it's just vital. I mean, you know, when you're adding, um, uh, basically intelligence and vision to anything, um, it's going to be a lot more productive. I mean, just imagine a, uh, you know, a deer that's running out in the middle of the Serengeti that can't see, um, probably isn't going to last a long time, but if you have, you know, vision, you have eyes, you have hearing, you have sense, Um, you're going to be much more adaptable and have much more intelligence. The same thing is, is in essence, what we're doing here uh, across, you know, really uh, a multitude of industries is just giving us uh, a better um, lens into um, our assets. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, And, you you know, you kind of talked about some of the use cases here, uh, kind of coming full circle back into uh some of this logistical warehouse stuff i mean certainly the internet of things that you just mentioned a lot having to do with logistics inventory control but also uh as you mentioned the vision component here um you know very important for for warehouses as well um anything else that you know can kind of uh cap cap off this discussion on uh on the themes that you kind of are looking at right now
1: um Well, again, I I only—I only see the biggest theme is that if you just look at penetration rates of of automation, of AI, of healthcare, um, Mm -hmm. digitization. I mean, we're talking about virtually every industry in its infancy. You know, we're in the in the very very early innings of the game, where penetration rates are, in most cases, is most cases in the low single digits. So. Mm -hmm. You know, for people who think they might have missed this, um, you know, hardly. I mean, we're just scratching the surface where this would go. I mean, when we launched Robo 10 years ago, we had high hopes, anticipation that robotics would become or or automation would become, you know, um, increasingly more ubiquitous. But fast forward 10 years later, we couldn't be more convicted in what we're seeing because now, again, it's become not just a, a luxury but a necessity, and uh, I, I think that business leaders uh, across the world understand the importance. I mean, we have a full-blown robotics and AI arms race going all mm-hmm. over the world, not just you know with with uh, with companies, but, you know, with countries. And so um, I, I think the rates of innovation are set to not decelerate, but only continually accelerate.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, and to your yeah. point, this has been you know a, a pretty slow process. Uh, you know, so for all of those that were worried that their jobs were going to disappear overnight, uh, you know, you were talking about how, hey, this is, uh, it, I mean, it's amazing how far it's come. You know, but as you said, it's it's been slow and will probably continue to be uh, a slow process.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say the word slow. I would say okay. it's
0: <laughs> more
2: incremental, it's a little more measured than people yes. might think.
1: Yeah, that's a little more reflective of the industrial side where we talk about there's going to be 3.4 million industrial robots installed by the end of of, of 2023. That's the cumulative number of robots globally. And that really pales in comparison to 500 million people that are employed in global manufacturing. And so um, this is a measured sort of level of growth in terms of what we see. The International Federation of Robots puts out their statistics every year, and we sort of see penetration growth of around, you know, 10 to 15% per year. Uh, so somewhat measured, and that's reflective of the supply chain. Uh, Some of the supply chain, you know, can't uh, get checked in uh, quick enough. The technology's in there, but the capacity, uh, and so it is a measure. We know what's going on with semiconductors, and, um, you know, it's a limitation for a lot of uh, production capacity uh, increases. Um, so again, it's just a little bit more measured than we think. And I, I think that the important thing for a lot of investors and consumers and employers and everyone I think about is the robots aren't here necessarily to steal our jobs. They're really here to work alongside of us. And there's much more collaboration that's going on with automation than most people um Understand. I think that's a really important point uh, to think about because I don't think we should be wanting to fear the robots. Uh, we should want more automation. Uh, that's the reality. I mean, we just don't like doing the dull, dangerous, and dirty jobs. And the nature of work has evolved for hundreds of years, and it's going to continue to evolve. And where exactly it goes, you know, I I, I, I can't predict. Um, obviously, there is a risk that we do have to. Uh, have some regulations, you know, around the growth as it relates to AI, you know, we'll get there. Will that be a perfect ride? Will there be some mistakes along the road? Um, you know, I would imagine, but you know, far better off than we were years ago. I mean, back in 1900, I think human longevity was probably the neighborhood of, of 40 to 45 years. Now we're probably in the neighborhood of 70, 75 years. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I right. think it's a good thing. Uh, I think kids that are born now are probably not going to live until they're 70 or 80, try 100, try 20 plus, as we've got the ability not just to arrest the signs of aging, but in many cases, reverse it. So there's a lot of benefits that are coming as a result of all these technologies.
0: Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your thoughts today on that uh, with uh, the impacts, uh, as you said, not just. Uh, longevity of life but uh again getting some getting us out of some of those dirty dirty jobs that uh none of us really want to do and dangerous jobs at that uh, so thanks again for your time and uh, as a reminder for our folks uh you can follow follow them at uh robo at roboglobal on twitter and roboglobal.com is the website uh, so thanks again bill for for coming on the show again thank you very much that's going to do it for us this week thanks so much for watching and Join us next week when we have John Kosar from Asbury Research returning. Uh, he's going to share with us his CIF model, um, his Asbury 6, uh, what he's seeing in the market, and where he's seeing some of the flows to uh, the different sectors. So please join us for that. And thanks so much for watching us this week. We'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.